Welcome to Destination CMO, a podcast about growth, business, and the power of marketing. With your host, Vincent Famvan, a three-time chief marketing officer, member of the Forbes Communication Council, and a 40 Under 40 award recipient. On this show, we invite our guests to share the most important stories happening today in business and tech, told through the lens of a senior marketing leader. If you enjoy this episode, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Our guest today is Christine Couch, CMO at ABC Fitness Solutions. She's actually going to talk about the rebrand of the company and what led to that. Christine has over 20 years of experience in the health sector, and she's passionate about helping companies and communities create healthier lives using information technology. Previously, Christine held sales, operations, marketing roles at places like CareerStream Health and even GE Healthcare, where she helped launch award-winning products and create global brands. And I'm so excited to be able to welcome our guest today. Christine, thanks for joining us. Hey, good to be here, Vincent. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, absolutely. This is a conversation I've been looking forward to for quite a bit of time now. One of the ways that I always love to kick off these episodes is, you know, many of us growing up, when you grow up and you're like in middle school, nobody grows up and goes, oh, when I would grow up, I want to be a marketer. Or at least I haven't met anybody who said that yet. So like, what was that for you? Like, if I would have asked you as a child, like, where did you think your career was going to go? Oh my gosh, you would laugh at the story, actually. Growing up in a country like Taiwan, and we immigrated to a country like Canada, I always wanted to be a teacher, actually. I always respected that role and role of an educator, what they bring to the child's lives. And I was like, you know, outside of my parents, uh, I know it sounds like a teacher's pet, but that was always somebody I respected. And one day I told my parents about my aspirations and my dad, and who to this day still refused, denies that he ever said this, <laughs> that, you know, he's like, that's a lot of pressure to be a teacher because if you'd make a mistake, you could ruin a whole generation of children. Wow. And <laughs> so you can that's imagine. Immense. A 13-year-old Christine pivoted really quickly. I think also because being growing up in a Chinese household, my parents was really trying to influence me to take on a role of a medical feel, like a doctor or something. Yep. So yep. When I started to pursue a career in a school of science and part engineering, they got really excited. But coming out of university, I finally found my place really it was actually healthcare, but finding ability to, to do something greater than just making money early on in my career. So it kind of steered me towards this marketing or sales client facing market facing type of roles. You know, throughout the pandemic, and we'll talk a little bit more about kind of how the pandemic has changed industries and work balance and the ways that even companies market. But as you go out and you evaluate kind of like different industries, and if for somebody right now, potentially taking a look at maybe they were in an industry that used to have some tailwinds and now has some headwinds with kind of like economic fear coming up, you know, what advice would you give to folks and kind of what should folks think about if they want to make an entry into healthcare? Yeah, I definitely would recommend finding something you love, right? Like finding something in your personal life that you enjoy and finding a threat in your career. Again, I was really blessed and lucky early on having graduated with a science degree. I knew I didn't want to be a doctor. I knew I didn't want to work in a lab or even to be a, a pharmaceutical industry. G Healthcare came up actually as an opportunity after having exposure, working with IT departments in hospitals. And I recognized right away that man, there's so much we can improve from a patient's perspective when you can improve 
workflow, communication, processes to just drive better outcome. And so that right away I latched onto. And so ever since I've been in the healthcare and wellness industry for the last 20 some years. And so find that passion early, find something that you find your purpose in, I guess, is important. And so I would say, long story short, somebody's looking, moving into healthcare. The reality is the definition of healthcare has broadened over the last, especially after the pandemic. And so there's something good for everyone. And so find your passion, find your purpose. I love that advice because in the absence of doing like personal reflection on that you're going to find yourself in your career just maximizing shareholder value. And obviously, like any organization, whether it's, an, whether it's a nonprofit organization or whatnot, you're going to be focused on different constituents, whether that's employee satisfaction, customer satisfaction, or shareholder value. But if your sole purpose is to drive shareholder value, it's really hard to not burn out and to make that something that's sustainable and something that you get excited to wake up every single day about. 100%. And, uh, 100%. Yeah. Find your purpose. So you wake up every day, right? So that you're not thinking I'm just here burning through the day and end my day at five o'clock. I mean, that's not how it works anymore. Totally. And the healthcare organization that I'm a part of right now, Thrive Health Tech, like has a mission and a purpose to be able to serve elderly patients and to make technology and mobile devices easier for them. And, you know, I really, when I got the pitch on what the company is doing, like I started thinking about my parents and the type of impact that this product, this service can make on their lives to help make technology easier for them to make healthcare more accessible to them and to really like bring them into like this telemedicine age. And I think as you are interviewing employers and I'm using that verbiage very specifically as you as a candidate are interviewing employers, I really think those are the things that people should think about as they're, they're making their next career move. Absolutely. And you know, and the industry that we play in, and I have also found now I'm now with a third PE back company and every private equity firm has their own philosophy as well. And so I think that's just as important, right? If you're considering a VC-backed or PE-backed type environment, that's a very valid question about whether or not the PE firm believes in the same mission and value and, mm -hmm. and willing to support that because that ultimately drives a lot of the operational mechanism throughout the entire company and ultimately could drive the culture as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, we're kind of in the state right now where economists have said over 50% of economists see that in 2023, that there's likely going to be a recession, but obviously recessions historically, the head economists have been actually very bad at identifying a recession until after it's already occurred. What are the types of things that you think senior marketers should be thinking about as they put together budgets, as they take a look at initiatives and as they kind of plan out for this just uncertain future? Yeah. Well, and having, I guess, one pandemic under our belt. It, we, hopefully we some, just one in our lifetime. One, that's right. And hopefully <laughs> just one in our lifetime. I think silver lining coming out of the pandemic as a marketer, just as a leader, really reminds you the importance of having your risk mitigation plan and analysis in play and just be transparent about those assumptions across the board with your peers and your leadership team. You know, some things that we think about, like just perfect example, obviously fitness and wellness industry that ABC Fitness serves. Traditionally speaking, gym memberships is one of the first things people give up in a time of recession. However, analysis by banks and investment firms and whatnot, we have done also our own primary market research have indicated coming out of the pandemic, folks are actually putting their wellness 
and fitness above a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. And so the price sensitivity, as well as the elasticity of wanting to spend money on fitness, we're quite optimistic at this point. And so turning that around to any marketer out there who's thinking about planning ahead. So always have your data, right? Primary market research, if you can, if not talk to different investment or analysts within the industry, and then always have a risk mitigation plan in process. So we literally just completed our budget process. Again, we have optimistic outlook based on what we're seeing macroeconomic wise, and also sort of the sentiments that's out there. And in our clients room feels that as well. But we also do have plan B in place if we need it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point in terms of regardless of the industry, whether it's fitness, whether it's healthcare, or whether it's a, a different industry, what I'm hearing from you is taking a look at kind of like past trends, whether that's if you have data for your existing company between 2008 and 2011, understanding exactly what happened there. Obviously, there is 2020 and everything between March of 2020 and November-ish of 2020. That's a good data set to look at as well, because what you would expect to happen on the surface isn't always the case. You know, one of the things that I think is super interesting is the there's a theory that's called the lipstick effect during recessions where people might be canceling larger vacations, but they've actually have found the lipstick effect kind of came from like small indulgences, whether you think of those as, as getting a facial or whether you think of it as maybe getting a blowout for your hair. It's like a small indulgence that you take instead of doing a vacation. And that's something that wouldn't have been really intuitive to me unless I actually went and took a look at what the analysts were saying and kind of like past data that was available. You know, how are you thinking about channels and kind of different technology as over the course of the past two years, the way that we interact with consumers has changed. QR codes are a thing now, which I think is the greatest gift to marketers that we've we've had. What a comeback. Um, yeah, what a comeback. The Western world is now using QR codes, just like one third of our world had been using the entire right. time. But, you know, even B2B, though, the way that we're interacting in terms of business travel conferences has changed as well. What are the trends that you're looking to in the new year? Wow. And by the way, maybe WhatsApp is next for something North American market would adapt, right? As the rest of the world. The uh, couple of things that comes to mind, you know, so when we're thinking about planning for next year, especially a couple of things, number one, in real life type of in-person event, definitely making a comeback. And we're seeing that not only from a planning perspective within the industry, but also demand for it as well. And so that is something that we're intentional about. It's often one of the most expensive channels that the marketer can invest in. So we're very intentional about the looking at the historical ROI in terms of the makeup of the, is it strictly just showing up? Because that's also not enough anymore. And where we that in-person engagement, how we continue to amplify that in a virtual space effectively creating content from an in-person event and amplify that on demand or just sort of a virtual environment at the same time, that certainly will be something we're going to continue to invest in. The other element, we were just talking about this. We're at a quite interesting intersect as ABC. We have this idea of this B2B to C intersect of because we serve clients that serve 25 million members around the world. And their behaviors and their ways of transacting, their ways of buying ultimately influences our health of our company and revenue as such. And so we often do take more consumer B2C centric environment and try to apply it in B2B 
For example, we started to incorporate intent data in our digital pay as we're trying to figure out, are there behaviors and are there patterns that we could take advantage of that we can incorporate into our, you know, what we call the dark funnel. I'm a fan of Sixth Sense, if to give them a shout out there, and trying to figure out how that can help us prioritize where we want to spend and also align with our sales team to be able to invest the right amount of outreach effort to maybe even, again, more dedicated, more targeted campaigns, if you will. So those two, like obviously everything else, business as usual, we have to continue to do that. Social, SEO, SEM, organic, everything. But those two, we're keeping a very close eye on and, and actually continue to invest more in because we believe those two will be very profitable for us next year. Yeah, I really heard like three trends that you identified in there. The first one being, how do you bridge in-person, face-to-face physical events and bring that into a digital world so there's a digital component to it that can be virtual? Second one that I heard is really about like recycling content. Maybe oh, recycling is yes. not the right word, but how do you take that, that physical event that you have and maybe it's video, maybe it's audio, maybe it's just content that's coming out, of, out there and in the way that it's being shared in social how do you give that a kind of a second and third and fourth life? Yeah. And then the the fourth one is really, how do you take that content and get it directly to the person at the right buying stage? Yes. As opposed to kind of the shotgun approach from the past where you might hit 50,000 contacts with the same message. Like the days of being able to do broad messages like that, I think are behind us, especially with technology. And you mentioned one of the players already, but any B2B company that's doing enterprise sales, I think today that's not leveraging intent data and not leveraging intent data to really personalize and segment their messaging is going to fall behind. 100%. You know, and so in, talk about another sort of concept in marketing that's making a comeback is content, right? I've always said content is king and how we repurpose in different formats and different channels is like marketers best optimization, if you will, or dream. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that we started to think about just in terms of content, and, and I think people traditionally think about content always has to be super perfected, long form. The case study has to be two minutes long. And uh-huh. you know, I don't think that's, I mean, I think all of us know now that's not the case, right? Like if you could just make it snackable, make it shareable, make it more timely at the point where, again, back to right point at the right time within uh-huh. their buying cycle. I mean, that's heaven, right? And that's the utopia that I think all of us marketers are trying to achieve. And if we can get there, you start with the right content strategy, both organic and paid. I mean, you absolutely can get more out of every dollar you invest in. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about like the transformation of technology because you know, five to 10 years ago, like it was a pretty clear playbook, which Rich is the website landing page where you type in way too many fields to then unlock a PDF that at the time, I mean, I used to read yeah. those at the time. That's right. I'm not sure if I would today to kind of like this world today of very short attention spans and almost reflective of what we've seen in like consumer social media trends where quick hits sometimes are more effective. But I read an article the other day that was roughly the gist of the article was that as millennials are taking more and more senior level roles within organizations, the things that they're looking for as B2B buyers is actually reshaping how B2B selling should be done because more of the stakeholders are actually millennials that are in these director positions and they have a seat in the RFP committee and they might not be leading the procurement efforts, but 
they're one of the stakeholders and millennials over millennials. And I mean, and Gen Z is taking this to an extreme value authenticity over production quality. Yeah, absolutely. This comes back to, I know everybody think of branding as such an abstract concept a lot of times, but those who've done marketing a long time, I mean, branding at the end of the day is an outward expression of your archetype in your mission and value. And so I think part of our marketer role now moving forward is just have to be more better storytellers. Like how do we authentically express ourselves in every form that we participate in? So, I mean, if you really want to get people's attention or if you really want to connect with your audience, you have to have to invest in that. Like first you got to know who yourself is, obviously, yeah. but then really spend the time creating those type of, you know, engagements. I think what's tough for that for marketers is kind of letting go of control. In the past, like you had control over the exact PDF, the exact font, the exact color, yeah. the exact image, the exact word, the exact, is it two spaces after a period or is yeah, it one? Code. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> everything is like tightly within your control. And what's challenging now, and let's kind of talk about collaboration with sales teams a little bit. What's challenging now is that in my opinion, the companies that are doing the best at B2B selling today, the marketing team has provided a framework to really let individuals on the sales team shine. Yeah. And I think the thought of letting an account executive go live on LinkedIn when, remember when in stories was a thing for like oh half God. a second, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, right. I, the idea of that being your brand floating was, out there was scary. Yeah. Was scary. Absolutely. I mean, I remember also when we've all first started, there was a policy that if you want to post anything publicly, you have to make sure you go through your marketing department, right? Or having some kind of approval process. I mean, that's, that's unheard of nowadays. So maybe I'm biased. I mean, I started my career in sales. And so I've always approached marketing as it's a symbiotic relationship where marketing and content should give me 80% at least what I need and then be able to customize that and, and be able to present that to my clients or whoever I'm talking to. And so that's been an approach I've always taken since I've moved over into marketing. And to your point, that's exactly it. You have to provide a framework, a playbook, if you will, that a salesperson can easily just modify and take and be able to be authentic to themselves and also be efficient and effective in front of a prospect. One of the things that I think about the evolution of, you think about technology changing the interaction. I remember the, the sales outreach type of technology that came out six, seven years ago, or even another Canadian company called Vidyard that came out, shout out to Vidyard. Yep. Those are the type of technology that truly empower salesperson to basically create whatever they wanted. And they was right. out there. And, and so when you think about how you work with sales team, this idea of inbound and outbound, it has to be consistent. It has to be coordinated. And so we instituted something this year because of that. It, we introduced the idea of like, we need to have a production schedule shared with the sales team. So they know a month in advance what content is coming. And then the biweekly conversation that happens becomes, okay, well, how do you pivot this content to what you need? How would you reuse it? One of my content marketer actually also helped craft the email sometimes that goes out and vice versa, right? So this type of partnership, I think, is is absolutely critical, especially in B two B sales moving forward, where 
unless you're in a pure PLG world where there's no sales assistance at all, let's face it, lead can only take so far. It's always going to be that sales counterpart that's going to take it to the finish line. So it's in our best interest as marketers to give them all the tools and the framework that the sales team needs. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And that's what's separating companies that are doing it really well today. And quite frankly, the companies that will be left behind and the companies that are left behind are not going to die right away, but they will see challenges over time, quarter over quarter, month over month, as it becomes harder and harder to sustain the level of growth that they've seen in the past. Yeah, the, when you take a look at, you mentioned StreamYard as a technology and, or Vidyard as a technology. And anybody who hasn't used Vidyard today, it's kind of synonymous. Vidyard was one of the OGs, one of the originals, but it's synonymous with if you've heard somebody say, let's record a Loom or inside Slack, there's a feature where you can record a short video and be able to share That's it right. with somebody else. But one of the last B2B companies that I was working at, our tech stack, and wow, this is turning into a really great like technology. None of these companies that I've mentioned or Christine have mentioned are sponsors of this That's show. That's right. Yeah, yeah. They're, if you want welcome. to, though. If you want to, us. you are welcome to be a sponsor of the <laughs> show. Right. Just That's leave right. a comment in the comments wherever you're watching this. But, <laughs> you know, the tech stack that we used was... CRM is interchangeable. You know, it could be CRM, it could be Salesforce, it could be HubSpot, it could be whoever. But on top, kind of layered into that, some type of intent tool, some type of website identity tool, like a Clearbit or, you know, Clearbit tied into another tool. But we were using Drift. And with Drift, sales teams were recording messages that were going out via email. The lead would click on it. They would be able to watch the video and they literally would be able to chat with the account executive on the side of the video. And the account executive would get a push notification as soon as the lead opened their video and started watching the video. Like that is when you live in the age of like, let's schedule a meeting in a week or two weeks or after the holiday versus like, what's your question right now? And let's yeah. answer your question right now. Yeah. That's just yeah. And that's especially, a completely different way of selling. And you talked about earlier, the idea of millennials and Gen Zs are now, if not one of the primary buyers, but certainly a stakeholder. That's exactly mm -hmm. it. But that's the type of instant engagement and gratification that they come to expect every other part of their life. So why not in B2B buying? And so you're absolutely right. I mean, this this like traditional SDR type of measurement of time to first contact it's no longer in minutes. It has to be in seconds, right. right? Because you're trying to capture that moment of indulgence, moment of intent and trying to convert. And so when I think about technology, it's one of the things I always think about is like, there's definitely technology that you need to just to run marketing. And then there's also like a CRM and, or like a, like you said, like a HubSpot or Salesforce, but then there's also technology you need to just like actually do marketing. And that has become blurred with sales technology as well, because that's all part of the communication journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And this all goes back to kind of where we started this episode, which is what's your plan A, what's your plan B, and what are the investments that you need to make? Because one of the most challenging parts about being a marketer is if you're not aligned with your CFO and your executive team, on this tree, especially if the starting point of your budget is how much you spent last year, it's really hard to get to a place where you can invest in these types of technologies and have other stakeholders understand how things are changing outside of your company and how other companies and how your competitors yeah. are talking to your customers 
in order to make sure that you're carving the path and you're leading the way and not getting left behind. Christina, kind of one question to wrap up this episode with, which is for somebody who has aspirations to grow in their marketing career, to have a seat at the table, whether that's a CMO role or a head of marketing type of role, like what advice would you give to that person today? And what are the things that they can do today to help prepare for that? Yeah. Wow. A couple of things comes to mind, but I'll focus on one. One is simply don't be afraid of data. And when I say data, I mean everything from primary market research to campaign for performance data to in the PE SaaS world, we always think about CAC to LTV ratios, you know, just driving not only efficiency, but also effectiveness of any programs. So being comfortable with those concepts, being comfortable with data analysis, and ultimately partnering with your finance team in those endeavors, it's key. I think about the last couple of things I've been in, I've been very fortunate to work with CFOs that believe in investment and growth. And when you position marketing as a growth catalyst of any company, especially in B2B, that's a much better conversation a position to be in than rather trying to justify your spend. Because if I could say currently our ROI for our core portfolio is 5x. So it becomes a much easier conversation with my CFO and my board to say, hey, I'm looking to invest in this particular initiatives because I know it could bring $5 more. Like which board wouldn't invest in that, right? And so, but being comfortable in those engagements and conversations, being comfortable with data analysis is something that I think a lot of CMOs don't necessarily dabble in. They rely on their CFO counterparts to tell them what to do. I would say, let's take charge, own that and figure out what your value truly is within the company. I couldn't agree with more with you on data. Like, you know, in college, I was a communications major, which is basically a sociology, psychology degree, not an econ degree. And so spreadsheets were something I had to get comfortable with at some point. And I think everybody, if you haven't had the point in your career where you Google how to do a pivot table, you're going to have it soon if you want to be a marketer in the next few right. years, because like, I think that's a requirement now. And even some of my like mid-level roles, like the job descriptions literally say SQL is a plus, not because I expect somebody to have SQL, but holy cow, if we find a good job candidate that knows SQL, that is like this secret weapon that I absolutely right. want to have on the team because that's how you shift. When you're only looking at the data that your finance team is giving you, it is becomes hard for you to tell the story about how you can drive the growth, especially right. if they're looking at your department as a cost center and taking a look at across all cost centers, especially in a tough economic environment of just shaving 20% off the top of every single cost center or 30% or 40% or whatever that number is going to be. And I would much rather get into a conversation about how we increase LTV so that we can spend right. more on our CAC than to try to figure out how to lower the CAC. And obviously there's optimization things that we can do, but it's a completely different conversation. Yeah. Christine, thanks so much for joining us on this episode. For somebody who wants to follow you, learn more about you, where should they go? Follow me on LinkedIn. I mean, that's actually where I'm most active in, I would say, <laughs> <laughs> out of all the different social platforms out there. So please do follow, send me a note, love to hear from you. Awesome. Christine, thank you so much again. It's been a pleasure. We have your LinkedIn URL up on the screen here, wherever you're watching this. Like, subscribe to this episode, follow Christine on LinkedIn. Feel free to reach out, connect if you have a follow-up question and everybody have a great day. Thanks. 
This has been Destination CMO, hosted by Vincent Famfan. Because marketing careers are often highly specialized and rarely linear, Destination CMO invites senior marketers to share stories and insights from their professional journey. If you liked this episode, join the community by following us on social media. We have links to all our platforms in the show notes. And join us next time for the most important stories in business and tech, explained through the lens of a senior marketer. Thanks for listening to Destination CMO. This podcast is produced by Caroline Pickens and the team at Fresh Picked Studio. For more information, go to freshpickedstudio.com.